0: So let me ask you a question. We've been talking about agape love, uh, talking about the overcoming fellowship, the church that God's called us to be. But the last two weeks we've landed on agape love, and and so here's my question: Who of you have had more opportunities than usual to love people with agape love over the last couple of weeks? Right? Have you been like, really? Okay, Lord, <laughs> yeah, I I've been right there with you. I just, you know, I don't just preach these sermons; I live them. And God's, like, impressing these things on my heart. I had lots of opportunities to love people this week when I didn't want to. Remember I talked about how agape love, we can only give agape with God's help. If, it, if I can do it on my own, it's not agape. But I need his help. So don't be surprised when all of a sudden there's people popping up on your radar. You're like, oh. You know that moment, right? You're like, oh, this is one of those agape moments. <laughs> Anyone have that conversation? Yeah, I, I had a moment this week where I did not want to go there. And God's like, you don't have a choice, right? Because I gave up my rights. And, and I actually had to walk quite a distance between where I parked my car and when I got to reengage with that person. And you know what? God did a work in my heart. It wasn't easy, but God did a work in my heart. And after a quarter of a mile, I was ready and saying, okay, Lord, not my strength, your strength. So let's be the church and love people Well, January 28th, 1986. Anyone remember what happened that day? January 28th, 1986. There's thousands of people who gathered at Cape Canaveral in Florida to watch space Space Shuttle Challenger launch. If you're old enough, you remember that. You remember the images. You could probably just picture a mental image of what that shuttle looked like as it went up. 73 seconds after launch... The orbiter came apart, it disintegrated. Uh, a catastrophic failure that led to the death of all seven astronauts. And a nation it was really on the forefront, at the beginning of, of this technology age, when, when news was traveling very fast. Uh, I was reading do, doing some research about this event. And, and the misconception is that millions of people watched it live. That, that actually wasn't true. There were a lot of people who watch, were watching live, and many of them were students because there was a teacher that was going up with that shuttle. But most people saw the rebroadcast within minutes after that event. But it's one of those marker moments if you uh, were alive or grew up in the 80s or uh, I remember that season. It was something, I remember uh, watching in, in South Africa, watching the first shuttle take off, I believe in 1981. Then in 1986, this disaster took place. President Reagan appointed the Rogers Commission to investigate what happened. What hap- why did this shuttle, after years of successful launches, where uh, in fact, we had, as, an, as a nation, we'd reached this point where we're like, we've got this thing down, We're launching shuttles now. When it's going, it's going like clockwork. It's working well. All of a sudden, this disaster brought the 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 shuttle missions to a grinding halt for the next three years. No shuttles were launched. President Reagan said, "We need to figure out what happened." The discoveries were astounding as the commission dug, dug deeper and deeper into what happened and what resulted in in this failure and this catastrophic destruction. Of the space shuttle. And here's what they found. There had been warnings about a particular part on the main main rocket boosters. There were two of them on the sides. Um, They were 12 feet in diameter, these rockets. They're just massive, massive, massive pieces of equipment. And they were built in sections. And between each section, there was an O-ring, a rubber O-ring that sealed the sections from each other. Now, I've heard the story, and maybe you have before, how it was a 50-cents O-ring that caused... And it actually wasn't. This O-ring was 12 feet in diameter. It was huge. It was a massive O-ring. But it was this O-ring, this rubber O-ring, that gave way. And, and what happened as it separated under the tension of that, that rocket is the, the hot gases from the ignition process and from that launch escaped getting onto the outside of the rocket. And, and if you've seen the pictures, you can see the fire start engulfing the rest of the rocket. And from there, just, it just came apart. One piece, one rubber O-ring. Now, in, in the, the scheme of things, it is just it is one small part, even though it's a 12-foot uh, diameter O-ring. But it was one part, one part that failed, that caused this destruction. Well, after finding out what, what was to blame, what part had gone wrong, they started learning more and more information. And this, this entire disaster has actually become a case study uh, for how we communicate and how uh, businesses and organizations communicate within themselves. And um, we'll get to that a little bit more in a second. See, the engineers warned NASA and said, we're not ready to launch. You can't launch the shuttle. See, Florida had a cold snap. It was January, and the temperature got down to 30 degrees. And they never tested these components in, do, in weather below 50 degrees, so 20-degree difference. And so the engineers were saying to NASA, you have to scrub the launch. We can't go because we've never tested the components. And the component of particular concern was the O-ring. Now, the O-ring had been tested, and they'd already found that there was some deterioration, but but it was determined that it was within acceptable limits. Trying to explain that to the families afterwards, right? That it was within acceptable limits and that everything was okay. In fact, the engineer who was uh, uh, in charge of signing off and basically gave it the green light and said, yes, we're good to go, signed off, go for launch, he refused to sign the document. And his superior signed it for him. And that man, in fact, when, when they interviewed him, he said it was the best decision of my life not to sign that document. And they warned NASA and said, no, no, no. But you see, we were on a season. We had come off a season of just success. and Everything was just going great. And you know what? The world was watching, and we had this teacher going up, and and we're going. We're doing this. We're going for it. And they didn't heed the warnings. See, but here's the problem. It goes back even further. They discovered in 1977, almost 10 years before, as they, before the first shuttle flight Right here in Downey, California, where they built the shuttle, they recognized that this was a weak point on the shuttle. In fact, there was a report uh, that was, was uh, given that said um, that, it's, that there was a, the, the possibility of a safe abort except for a case where hot gases leaked through the rocket casing, which was exactly the case in, in, in this situation. 1977, they recognized there was a problem. In fact, that when they referenced that report, the initial report was produced in 1971 when they were designing the rocket and said, we have to be careful, this, this design is flawed, and they went ahead with it. Anyway, so 1971 to 1986, people knew there was a problem and did nothing. 1985... They realized, you know, we need to do something about this. And they started a redesign process for these rocket burst boosters, adding more material. See, what happens, this stress is the stresses, when those rockets take off, they twist and turn. And so that, that rubber gasket would get deformed inside of its housing. And so they, did, they figured out they needed to add three more inches of metal around that O-ring to hold it in place. They were in the process of change, making those design changes, but they did not stop the launches from going ahead. They said, we'll just kind of do this on the fly and, and future launches. So this is 1985, just a few months before that disaster. They said that the problem was treated as an acceptable flight risk. Here's what we've learned. Small things can have huge and disastrous consequences. Small things can have huge and disastrous consequences. There's a term that's used, and it's, this is kind of the ideal environment where it's described in, in psychology. The term is groupthink term was developed by a professor at Yale University in the early 70s. Groupthink is this. If you're in a room of people who all think one way and you know they're wrong and you know you're right, eventually you're going to start thinking the way they do because the group kind of wins. The more people say something is a certain way, the pressure on us to just say, well, okay, I will... I will give up my convictions. I will walk away from the things I hold to and believe with all my heart. I will give those up in order to appease and fit in with the group. And this was a perfect example of groupthink. NASA had massive groupthink going on. We're go for launch, and there was this, there, this, this excitement about, let's get that shuttle up in, in space. So much so that they didn't hear the warnings and didn't heed the warnings. And groupthink came in. Groupthink finds its way into the church and into our lives. And can I tell you, it's the small things that have disastrous consequences. See, God's not called us to groupthink. He's called us to Godthink. I just made that up not groupthink, but God think, and they stand in opposition to each other. We've been talking about the overcoming fellowship. What kind of church has God called us to be? We've been talking about agape love. In fact, we started a few weeks ago uh, discussing ecclesia. That's who we are. The Greek word for, for the church, ecclesia, the called out ones. In fact, it's the same term that's used uh, of of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, they were the ecclesia, the called out ones of God, called out of death and into life, called out of slavery and into freedom, called out from being orphans to be sons and daughters of God. What we celebrated at the communion table this morning—we've we, been called from death to life. That Jesus has given us this gift from unrighteousness to righteousness. We talked about agape love over the last couple of weeks. That the foundation of all of this has to be, can only be, love. Agape love, a love that's not common to the world, that doesn't make sense to the world. A love that can only be given by our, by, with the help of God. A love that's no strings attached that says, I love you no matter what. A love that gives up our rights and says, Lord, I'm going to take on your heart, your mind for people and love them the way that you love me before we were reconciled. Agape love, uncommon love that doesn't make sense. I love that. The world just has to go, what is it about you? What is it about you? Ah, you're weird and I love it, right? The world should be saying about you, the people. And when I say the world, I'm just talking about the people around you. When you go to Albertsons, when you go to work, when you take your dog for a walk down the street, the people you encounter, those people, they should go, there's something about you. You're not normal, and I like it. Right? We're called to be a peculiar people. Say, I'm peculiar. Now say it like you mean it. Because you are. Today, we're moving into third gear. We started in first gear pop down into second gear. We'll be building some momentum. And now we're in third gear. Now we've got some speed going. And I'm going to warn you this morning, I'm going to meddle today. I'm going to meddle. And, and my prayer is that you walk out of here kind of like, oh, man, really? So just be warned because I've been feeling it all week. So I'm just sharing with you. Again, started that we have to start with love, but today I want, to, I want to speak about the prophetic witness of God's righteousness, that we are called to be the prophetic witness of his righteousness. But we can't deal with righteousness before we deal with love, which is why we started with agape. First Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13.1, in fact, says this, if, if you can do all of these things, you can prophesy and you cast out demons and preach and do all of these things, and if you don't have love, what does it say you are? A resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. i tell you what. I was going to have Alex come up. I thought we might have a drum kit today. I was going to come have him just kind of drop a beat, right? You know what I'm talking about? I'm using terms I hear my sons use. Um, You know when you got a good beat going on a drum set and your head's kind of nodding. Even if you don't have rhythm, you're like, oh, yeah, that's good. and It's a good mix of everything. But you ever been in a place where, like, someone's just crashing on a cymbal, like the kid in the garage next door, and all you hear is, like, (laughs) in fact, you know, if I were back here, you guys, Richie and and AJ, you guys did a great job this morning, and, man, you're just, like, you're into it, and I love that. If I were up here, you would just hear this, and, and at first you're like, all right. But then you start going, that's enough. And after a little while, you're like, please shut up, because you are driving me nuts. I was at the church office last night and pulled up, and I heard a little dog barking, and I was like, oh, cute, a dog. After two hours, well, we won't go there. Um, I didn't do anything to the dog, but that's all you can hear, right? At the end of the night, that's all you hear anymore. Bang, 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 bang. And you know what? Some Christians are like that. They get out in the world thinking that they're making a difference, but because they don't have agape, their righteousness comes across as wee, 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 wee. Boom, 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 crash, 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 crash. And eventually they're like, just go away. I can't handle you. And God says, no, it's not my heart. That's not what I've called this. not prophetic. That's pathetic. Right? I just came up with that. That was good. I'll write that down. It's not prophetic, that's pathetic. Because it's not having the impact on people's lives that God wants us to have. So agape first. So with the lens of agape, we're going to talk about righteousness. And here's what I know. We're coming up against something this morning in the spiritual realm. Ephesians 6 says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And in our culture and in our context, this conversation about righteousness is a stronghold. It is a principality as a place or base of operation for the enemy in our culture. And you don't have to look hard to see it. Things are falling apart morally. There is decay in our land as never before. It's all around us. So when we come to a conversation about righteousness and being the righteousness of Christ and being that prophetic witness, now now it moves beyond, okay, this is kind of uncomfortable. I just got to work hard. This is battle. This is where I'm pulling out the sword and I'm engaging in warfare. And so established and rooted in love, we now move into battle. This is where the church gets to engage, okay? Okay. Setting the stage for our conversation. We've been working off this definition of the church. We can get that up on the screen. The church is a community of people called out, ecclesia, from every nation on earth to do what? To, de- to display, demonstrate, and declare God's nature, God's ways, God's truth, and God's truth to all who live on the earth so that they might turn to him and live. That they might turn to him and live. We're called out to display, demonstrate, and declare our agenda, our ideas. No. Because God's like, you're, you're great and all, but not you're not that good. You're just not that good. I have a verse that I'll reference in a bit. You're going to love it. Um, To display, demonstrate, and declare God's nature, God's ways, God's truth. That is prophetic. When we display, demonstrate, and declare who God is, we are being prophetic. We are preaching with our lives. We are speaking truth to a world that needs to hear truth. When you read those words, nature, ways, and truth, you can insert one word there, The word is righteousness. The word is righteousness. And righteousness, the righteousness of God, is what people need to see in us. They need to see it in us. The opposite of righteousness is this, lawlessness. Lawlessness. Doing what is right in our own eyes, being a law unto yourself. I will do whatever I want, and you can't make me stop. It's my life, and I'll live it how I want to live it. Can I just tell you right now, I'm not talking about those who don't know Jesus. Because those who don't know the Lord, like I said before, they don't know that they need Jesus. There's something inside of them that's yearning for him, and they can't put their finger on it. Right? They don't know. They're, they're walking in darkness. They're walking in ignorance. What I'm talking about is the church. I'm talking about you and me. That God is saying to us, you cannot be righteous and do whatever you want. You can't live lawlessly and call yourself righteous. You can't make your own rules as a believer. You just can't. And some people are like, well, that's a huge bummer. No, it's not. See, because when I make the rules for myself, I make the wrong rules and I live wrong. But when I align myself with his righteousness, his ways, his nature, his truth, oh, life is so much better. So much better. Lawlessness is a disregard for the ways of God. And those things are evidenced out in the world, quote-unquote. But for our purposes this morning, I'm more concerned about how they're evidenced within the bride, within the body of Christ, within his church. See, we're called out and called into. We're called away from lawlessness and called into righteousness. And if we don't get this, if we don't live this, The results are disastrous. And here's the lie of the enemy. It's just a small thing. It's just a small thing. I got saved back in the 80s. And I know God was telling me, you need to deal with this area of your life. And now it's not the 80s anymore. Though some of the clothing's coming back. But it's not the 80s anymore And God's still saying, you need to deal with this stuff. Well, it's just a small thing. 1971, a report said, an abort is survivable in a space shuttle mission except for if the gases leak. They identified the problem and never did anything about it until seven people lost their lives as the nation watched. And then we were outraged. Don't think for a second that those places where God says to you, I'm calling you out, I'm addressing the things in your life that are out of alignment, that are lawless, that are not righteous, I'm calling you to address those things. Yeah, God, they're small things. The small things lead to us crashing and burning while the world watches, while the world watches. I want to go back in time a little bit A man named Noah. You can turn in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, and then we'll end up in 2 Peter chapter 2. So we're going to go from the very front to the very back. We're covering all of Scripture today. We're going to be here for about six hours. I'm just kidding. No, we're not. Um, Noah. The example of Noah's life, a man who lived in a time of extreme lawlessness. When you read the account of Noah, you recognize that people were doing whatever they wanted. And it didn't please God at all. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 through 12. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways, corrupted their ways, insert there, had become lawless. I will do what I want. I will live how I want. I'm going to revel and party and do everything my flesh desires. And here's one man in the midst of it. One guy, imagine this. One man in the whole world, him and his family, who was righteous and walked with God. And God's eyes were on this man. Noah walked with God. In the same way that Adam and Eve had walked with the Lord, with God in the Garden of Eden, except that Jesus hadn't come yet. And so, in fact, it talks about Noah later in in Hebrews. It talks about the righteousness that Noah had got because he believed and had faith in God. In the midst of a time when everyone did what they want, Noah resisted groupthink and went with God think. Noah resisted the ways of the world, the things that people said, hey, this is acceptable, this is okay, let's just do whatever we want, and Noah said, no, 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 no. Can I ask you, do you think that was easy? <laughs> no way. There's no way that, that it was a fun time for Noah. But he didn't waver in this. He was a blameless, righteous man, and he walked with God. Not only did he walk with God, he obeyed God. Genesis 6.22, Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. That word everything means everything, right? Everything. There was nothing that God didn't come to Noah and say, Noah, I need you to do this. Okay, Lord. Noah, I need you to, to head this way. Noah, I need you to build a boat. What's a boat? I need you to build an ark. What's an ark? Well, it's like a boat. What's a boat? <laughs> it's going to rain. What's rain? Because there was, they were living in a time where, says the firmament, there was a covering over the sky. Where, have you ever been in a greenhouse where the humidity is just perfect and it keeps everything alive? That's the way that the earth was. There was no rain It was the ideal condition for things to grow. So they'd never seen rain. What's rain? Well, it's when water comes out of the sky. What? It's going to flood. What's a flood? All of these things, question upon question. Noah, just build an ark, build it this big, and stop asking so many questions. Why? 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 Parents of three-year-olds, be encouraged. Why, why, why God has been there with you? He obeyed God and just did what he commanded, even when it didn't make sense. Genesis 7-1, the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family. Why? Because I have found you righteous in this generation. I am calling you out. I am setting you apart. He called them out of the world and into the ark, which, by the way, is a type, it's an analogy, it's a picture of what Christ does for us. The impending destruction, and God calls us into a place of safety. I don't want to get distracted, but that's pretty cool. Um, Genesis 7:5, and Noah did all the Lord commanded him. And what was the result? Their lives were spared. Their lives were spared. God, uh, Noah obeyed God, and their lives were spared. Noah believed God's warning. Hebrews 11.7 says this, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. It's a heavy passage. In holy fear, he had a fear of God that exceeded his fear of man. You want to have God think versus group think? Stop walking in the fear of what people think of you. God's opinion, what God thinks of who you are, matters more than any human being that walks on this planet. It has to. Because if it doesn't, you'll be swayed to the left and to the right. A holy fear, and that's not a cowering fear. <laughs> You're God, I'm not. You get things that I don't. I'm going to listen to you. He became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Again, a picture of what Jesus would do. It's all pointing to the cross. Noah believed God, he believed his warning. Noah proclaimed God's word 2 Peter 2 4 through 10. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not, did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of what lawless men, listen to this: for the righteous, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard what a picture he was tormented in his righteous soul by the things that were going on in the world around him can i ask you this morning are you tormented in your righteous soul by the things happening in the world around you by the things that pop up on your facebook timeline by the news reports not Do you stand in judgment of them? But are you tormented in your very own righteous soul? Love that picture. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. There's a whole sermon right there. We can't unpack that fully. Um, There's just not enough Sundays in the year. Um, Those who follow the corrupt desires of the sinful nature, lawlessness, I'll do whatever I want, and despise authority, because God says if you despise the authority that's immediately above you, you're despising his authority. You're not living in holy fear, and it all ties right back in. It all ties. Noah proclaimed God's word. He was a preacher of righteousness. How? Through his life. Through his life. People could not have not known, right, that he was a righteous man. Because he stuck out. He's the only one. Hey, Noah, you want to come over? No. Hey, Noah, you want to go party? No. Hey, Noah, you want to sleep with this woman? No. No, 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 no. He must have had a sign that just said, no, don't stop asking me. Right? Right? No, 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 no. Because I live for the Lord and I walk in obedience to him. called out to be righteous people. This isn't a new concept. It started in the garden and it's gonna continue until Jesus comes back and he says, I've called you to live uncommon lives. I called you to live not like the rest of the world in the ways that are acceptable and the things that the world says oh no this is okay I've called you to a different standard we have to live that way now Noah the destruction that came through the flood the whole earth was wiped out except for seven people and that's pretty extreme and God put his rainbow in the sky and he says I promise that I won't do this again what does that mean that God's never going to punish people? No, we will stand before the judgment seat. Every one of us. In fact, there's two thrones. I've talked about this before. The great white throne where your name, they'll, you know, we see the pearly gates. It's not the pearly gates. Peter is not at the pearly gates with the book. Just so you know. There's a great white throne where God is saying, is your name written in the book or not? If it's not, you're going to the same place where the angels went. The sinful angels. To a place of torment. Torment. But there's another throne, a throne of judgment, where God says to his bride, to his church, what did you do with your life, the Bema seat? What did you do with your life? And we will give an account of our righteous deeds, of how we lived our lives for the Lord. So is there a judgment coming? Yes. Does it look like Noah's time? No. Because those people didn't have an out. They didn't have an option God didn't come to know and say, hey, listen, go preach and tell the people to change their ways. He didn't do that. He just said, these people are done. There's, there, there's no hope here. I have to start over. But for us, there's Jesus Christ and we become the righteousness of God and he calls us to go into the world and declare his truth, his love, his ways to display, declare it. Why? So that people can see him and turn to him and live. God's given them a way to life very different but it is coming to an end jesus will come back he is coming back sooner than later and we need to be ready we need to make sure that we are displaying righteousness in this world so that people can see god and live all right so what's the implication for us What's the implication for us? You're probably drawing all kinds of conclusions yourself, which I love, because I'm sure the Holy Spirit is doing a bit of stirring. Anyone? All right. I'll just keep preaching then. All right. What's the implications for us? It's the small things. It's the small things. And when I said that earlier, it's more than likely there were some things that popped into your head. And that's not me. That's the Holy Spirit, by the way. Those things that he stirred up, he's like, yep. Those are the things you need to deal with. So I won't list them on the screen because they're going to be different for all of you. But deal with the stuff. Deal with the issues of the heart. We're called to a higher standard. We just are. And I hear Christians whine about it all the time. Well, they they don't judge other people that way. Yeah, because you know what? They don't know God. You're... Forget about the world holding you to a higher standard. God holds you to a higher standard. Give up the Christian groupthink and start walking in the fear of God. That's what he's calling us to as his church, as his bride. We are called to a higher standard. It's not fair, but it leads to righteousness. Righteousness. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says this. Simple verse, easy verse. I didn't even put it up on the screen. Just listen. Avoid every kind of evil. Not entertain, not flirt with, not, hey, check it out. Avoid, you see it? Other direction. Avoid every kind of evil. How do we know what is evil? Well, my friend told me. Nope. My pastor told me. Nope. Bible says very clearly that there will be false prophets. And we think about false prophets like this. You you might have this picture in your image. Sunday morning, pastor's preaching. Some dude, right, comes, walks, big white beard, walks in and says, I am a prophet and I have a message from God for you. That's what I always thought growing up. Like, oh, the false prophets, like, they must be like something. No. If we are the prophetic witness of God's love and righteousness, who's the prophet? We are. We are. You are. Say, I, I am, am a, a prophet. prophet. You didn't know that before today. You know it now. You can't be the prophetic witness of his righteousness if you're not a prophet. You're, you're, you're a prophet. So when you read about false prophets, what is he saying? He's saying it's people who say they love God and live lawless lives. You are peddling something that is not truth, that is not God's nature, that is not his way, right? And it is fake. God says, watch out for those people because the world is watching. If you read the news, there's a certain family, TV family, celebrity family, whose lives have been torn apart because they've realized that there's all kinds of sin that's taking place. Things that have been exposed which is, which is one thing on its own, but, but you have an individual who proclaims that God is his, his Savior, that he loves Jesus, and then, on, and then stands and says, I'm, I'm standing for, for marriage, and I'm standing for, for truth, and for righteousness, and, and it turns out the whole time there's things in his life that preach the opposite. Why is this a problem? And I'm not mentioning names on purpose. If you want to find out, it's up to you, but it doesn't matter what the name is. You can insert many names of Christian leaders over the years who have crashed and burned, have showed up on CNN and NBC and CBS on the news and the world going, You see? You see? That person is a hypocrite. But it's no, I'm not just talking about the Christian celebrities. Though it breaks my heart when people who proclaim the name of the Lord are living a duplicitous lifestyle, are living lawlessly. But we're no different. Right? Jesus says before you look at the speck in your brother's eye, check out the log in your own eye. See what's going on in your own life. Avoid every kind of evil. It's a heart issue. It deals with our heart. I I preached a few months ago uh, about sin, about transgression and iniquity. In fact, this whole series is online. If you've missed any of these, I encourage you, go and listen to them online. They all fit together. Transgression is the act of sinning. It's the physical, I did the deed. Iniquity is this. It's what got me to the place where I was where I shouldn't have been. It's a matter of the heart. It's where the line is drawn, and you're like, well, how close can I get to the line? That's iniquity. And it's the small things that bring destruction. And so the issue here is not how close should I get, says avoid every kind of evil. That's the line. I'm going that way. Folks, that's righteousness. That's the embodiment of righteousness. Jesus came into this world, took on flesh, lived like you and me, but never sinned. Why? Because he was like, that sin, I'm heading this way. And Hebrews says, you know what? He did that. He faced every kind of temptation. Why? So we could relate to him. Because how crazy would it be if our Savior was unrelatable? But we can relate to him. He avoided every kind of sin because he wanted to be righteous just as his father is righteous and he modeled for us that it is possible. That it is possible. Iniquity will keep pushing you towards the line and you will fight it every day of your life. Sorry. Real encouraging. You will, but if it's the day where you start start ignoring it. The day where the engineer comes and he says, Hey, we have a problem, and you're like, hey, this is within within the acceptable realm, right? What was the term? I gotta remember it. Um acceptable flight risk. Where the enemy will come and there's something that that iniquity, I'm not saying, hey, the devil made you do it. This is just you. All right, I grew up in the 80s. It was devil made you do everything. James says, no, your own heart gives birth to that crud. There's stuff you can blame the devil for, but most of the time, just look inside. It's a matter of the heart. Okay, where was I? All right, this is an acceptable life risk. The enemy is going, it's it's just a small thing. And in your mind, you're going, yeah, that's good. I'm technically not across the line. But you are now closer to moving into a place of destruction. Avoid every kind of evil. Head the other way. Fix the stuff. Deal with the issues. The big things and the little things. The little things bring destruction. Self-righteousness is a problem. Believers... We take on this attitude. I'm better than all of you. You know that the the only people that Jesus really got angry with were the, were the Pharisees, and their attitude was, huh, right? The guy prays. The Pharisee prays. God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. I'm not like them. Thank you, Jesus. Actually, they wouldn't have said Jesus, but thank you, God. Thank you, God. I'm not like these sinners. And Jesus is like, oh, oh, brother. (laughs) Self-righteousness. We have nothing to give. I want to share a very encouraging passage with you. Isaiah 64, 6. I told you it was coming. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts, all your righteous acts, are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sin sweeps us away. Sobering, not encouraging, right? The very best you have to offer on your own is like a dirty, filthy, stinky rag. And not only that, You're just like a leaf. It's going to fall off a tree. It's going to be blown away. And what's carrying you there? Sin. This is the warning to the church. Jesus saying to his bride, don't be that kind of person. Don't live that kind of life. See, because you don't have to rely on your own righteousness. There's a righteousness that comes from Christ. Christ. That has been made freely available to you and me. In fact, the Bible says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's not just something that you have. It's something you are. It's how God sees you. But that brings me to my next point. What's the implications for others? See, because this prophetic witness of your righteousness is not meant for here. That's good to see it here. But but man, when prophets prophesy to other prophets, so what? We were supposed to know those things. We're supposed to see those things. It's when we walk out of church on a Sunday morning and we stop being the church at the door and we go back to our lawless ways. I'm righteous here, but I do whatever I want out there. What do people see in your life that sets you apart from the rest of the people in their lives? What do they see? What's the implication for others? Life or death? Life or death. Micah, can we get the definition back up? Called out from every nation on earth to display, demonstrate, and declare God's nature, God's ways, and God's truth to all who live on earth. Everybody. Why? So that they might turn to him and live. When you demonstrate and display and declare who God is and people see it in your life and they go, there's something about your life. Not only are you a loving person and you, you care about me like I've never been cared about, but there's something else about your life. You don't just do the stuff that everyone else does. When we were pastoring in Anchorage, our neighbors ended up coming to church after he had told me he was, uh, Dan was a great guy. He, we, we built a friendship. We were hanging out with their family, and at some point, they found out we were pastors because I don't wear my pastor shirt. Like, good to meet you. I'm a pastor because it just makes people uncomfortable. Um, We'd been hanging out for a while, and he's like, oh, oh, you're a pastor. And you can just see the wheels turning, and I loved it. Well, every conversation after that ended up something like this. Well, I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not religious. Okay, well, you brought it up. You keep talking about it. I'm, I'm just talking about the weather, because that's what you do in Alaska. You talk about the weather a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Come on, okay. I don't think you even know what you really mean by that, but okay. And uh, so we planted the church. We hadn't started the church yet. And Dan says, well, yeah, um, I'll, I'll come help you set up because we met in a school just like this. I'll come help you set up, but no, we won't stay because, you know, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. Okay. Well, Dan and his family did come to church. They did help set up. They did stay, and they gave their lives to the Lord. So I called Dan into my office, and I sat down, and I said, Now, Dan, that you're, now that you're a Christian, all of your drinking and your cussing and your smoking and all of that, you've just got to stop. <laughs> no, I didn't. Thank you. You guys know me. <laughs> good. Good. All right. No, you know what I did? I said, Hey, Dan, meet me at Starbucks at 630 before work, and let's just dive into God's Word together. And we journaled together every day. We just hung out. <sighs> Dan calls me at work. On his lunch break, and he's like, Barry, I was reading my Bible on my lunch break because they didn't have Bibles. They'd never cracked the Bible open in their lives. So Megan and I were like, We've got to get them Bibles. So the whole family got Bibles and nice ones, too. Like, we're like, Hey, we're springing for good Bibles for you guys. Had their names engraved and the whole deal because we're like, You're valuable. Anyway, Dan calls me and he says, I've been reading the Bible during my lunch break. I'm like, right on. I'm like, I don't even do that. Um, <laughs> and he says, Did you know, did you know that the Bible talks about like my language and, and and how my like my lifestyle? Yeah. He's like, man, I got some I got some changes to make. Oh, yeah, you do. I didn't have to tell him. I just loved him. And our family just got to model for them in a different way. Not perfect. Man, committed to saying, Lord, we want people to see you in us. It was one of the highlights of my ministry career, my ministry life, whatever my calling, was that single phone call. Hey, Barry, did you know the Bible says something about this? Yeah. And I didn't have to tell him. That's what it means to be the prophetic witness of God's righteousness, to not ram it down people's throat, but not to also capitulate and give in and just live the way they live. What do people see in you? People are watching you. They are watching you whether you like it or not. They are watching you. And then when they find out you're a Christian, they're watching you even more closely. They're watching you even more closely. They're watching your life and emulating your areas of compromise. I say that again? They're watching your life and emulating your areas of compromise, not even knowing that it's compromise, but the small things in your life that you let slip, that you let go, that God says you need to address this and you, you don't, the people watching you who don't know Jesus yet or maybe you're new to the faith will model those things. They will think, well, hey, You do it, so I guess it's okay. It's the small things. People won't care what you know until they know that you care. Being a prophetic witness of his righteousness is not about yelling at people, telling them how filthy and ugly and dirty and sinful they are. Amen? It's about us being the bride of Christ, about being his church and going into the world and loving people into the kingdom of God, that we love them in such a way that they want to be around us. And when they're around us, they go, there's a way that you live your life that's not normal, and I like it. How do I get what you have? Can I just tell you, you will lead more people to Jesus and see more people discipled in Christ if you lead that way and live that way than if you just stand on a street corner yelling at people. Listen, and there are people that are called to be street preachers, and I love that. But somewhere in our Christian thinking, we equated that with evangelism. No, evangelism is go be Jesus. Go be Jesus. Go be the righteousness of Christ. Go love people, and then give them something awesome to look at. Not you, but Christ in you. Why? So they will see God and turn to him and live. Can we stand this morning? What's the stuff? What are the O-rings in your life? We have them. I know you have them. I have them. What are the things that God is saying to you and has been saying to you? Maybe for the first time today or for the last 15 years, God's saying it's time to deal with that thing. It's time to fix that. It's time to get it right because if you don't, it's going to lead to destruction. As your pastor, my desire is that there wouldn't be one person in this church who has to come to me and say, Pastor, my life is falling apart because of compromise. But more than that, God's desire for you is this. He's saying, I'm giving you my righteousness. I'm giving you my grace. I'm giving you my love. I've given you my son so that you don't have to crash and burn. Now, what are you going to do with him? Noah walked with God. Noah believed God. Noah obeyed God. And it still works today. Do you fear God? Do you walk with God? Do you hear God? Do you obey God? What's the loudest voice in your ears? It should be the voice of your heavenly father saying this is the way, walk in it. It should be these words ringing in your ears. So that when iniquity starts rising up and you're like, well, there's that line. Everything, every fiber of your being says, no, avoid every kind of evil and go the other way first that you can live God wants you to live but he wants other people to live as well as they look at you see Christ in you and turn to him that's the prophetic witness of your righteousness I believe some this morning would have this stirring in their hearts and minds like well I hear what you're saying but I'm so not there you're right you're not And if you look around, no one is. We're all a work in progress. That's why there's grace. That's why there's grace. It's not perfection, but it's direction. Not perfection. God's called us to that, and we're aspiring to that. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. But what he's looking for are lives that are moving in that direction, if your commitment of your heart is, God, I will move that way. I'm committed to growing in you and looking more like Jesus. God says, I'll meet you there and I'll work with you in there. But the believer says, you know what? I might as well give up. I was like, well, okay, I can't, I can't really work with that. I can't really work with that. So let's just hang out and wait till you're ready to move again. But he will walk with you So, Father, this morning, deal with the O-rings in the room. Lord, deal with the things in our lives that are broken, that are fractured, that are fragile. The things that we've allowed to stay in place that we know could lead to our destruction. You've called us to be your bride, spotless and pure you've given us everything we need to attain that and so lord i pray that we would walk into that that we would embrace it we would embrace your agape love and that we would walk in your righteousness and lord i pray that the world would see it they would see jesus in us that our co-workers our friends our neighbors people at the grocery store and the schools and the colleges would know that they are loved by us with an uncommon love and then they would see something in us that leads them to Jesus. I want to ask you this morning as heads are bowed and eyes are closed If you've not given your life to Jesus, if you've not invited him to be the Lord of your life, the savior of your soul, to become your righteousness, I don't wanna miss an opportunity this morning to give you the chance to say yes to him. It's really easy. It's just really easy. All you have to say is yes, Lord. I receive you as my savior. I receive the forgiveness of sin that you offer. And I choose to walk with you from this day forward. If that's you this morning and you'd love to receive with every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, I want to agree with you. Would you just raise your hand? Would you raise your hand so I can agree with you in that? says that there is celebration in heaven when one person gives their life to jesus christ there's a party right now because someone here today said yes but lord i pray now that we would go and be the church to be your love to be your righteousness to a world that needs it in your name amen